we also want to have the drinks that makes you go home and stay up all night <laughs> wondering what you just experienced like why hello and welcome to best sips worldwide i'm your drinking companion susan schwartz an american travel writer living in london thanks to my mother's love of martinis the first words i spoke were shaken not stirred and i've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. Totally hidden from view, but steps away from busy Rittenhouse Square, the Franklin Mortgage and Investment Company likes it that way. Jason Elliott and John Lalu sit down with me today to reveal the origins of the name and how it became Philadelphia's first cutting-edge cocktail bar. Yeah, there wasn't really much going on eight years ago as far as craft cocktails, and I think that was that was at like the height of like you know that change of just fresh ingredients, and I think you know Alex Day and. Joaquim Simo, they they definitely picked up on it, and they they're you know flagshipping their proprietor LLC, which is you know consultant group, and I think Franklin was their first project, so that was kind of like you know multiple ambitions coming together. Uh, the owners they just love craft cocktails; they wanted to bring something to Philadelphia that you know Philadelphia never really had. So I think that's that's where the Franklin really claims it's it's stake to me it's that it's just like I don't know it was so unique at the time and it's still very unique as far as like what's being done with bars and you know over the years a lot of bars come out and you know doing the same thing so it's good it's good to see that more people are paying that much attention to to the drinks you know trying to trying to do it right we were you know at the beginning of the movement no absolutely yeah somewhere like that like Early to mid 2000s is where there is like a huge influx of just like very artisanal spirits and like a lot of distilling people went back to like grassroots and they stopped doing like big corporation stuff and there's like a huge shift of just like attention to quality and you know it's it's just good it's it's good to be a part of that it's especially when Philadelphia has grown so much food wise. Absolutely. You know, oh, yeah, definitely. You know um, my parents are from here, mm-hmm. and um, they moved in 1984, and you really couldn't get anything to eat. And now it's one of the great food capitals of the world, you know, not the United States. You know, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. with world-class chefs like Michael Solomonov and all of Stephen Starr stuff. So mm-hmm. you guys, you know, for cocktails, oh, yeah. you're right on the cusp there. Well, that's one of the good things about us not serving food is we don't compete with any of those guys. Mm-hmm. We're somewhere yeah. to go either before or after, so we kind of, we, we fit into our niche real well, especially in Center City. That mm-hmm. There's a lot of people are coming down here for great food and they want great drinks after, and a lot of the places are, you know, referring them to us, or, you know, so it works good for us. So. And the concept for the Franklin, what did that come out of? Uh, they, the Franklin Mortgage and Investment Company was, I believe, like an old rum running it was, I know, there's a Max Bubuhoff was a Jewish gangster in the 30s, and he got a bunch of, he was actually, a, he was a 
Golden Gloves boxer too, but he had gotten together a bunch of guys and they started a rum running ring called the Franklin Mortgage Investment Company, which during Prohibition ran more booze than an, even Al Capone. It's the largest rum running ring, largest liquor running ring in American history, and that's what the owners had named it off of. They are actually operated in South Philly, they weren't in Center City, but that's where, you know, he got the name and the inspiration from it. And all the Prohibition style, like, I mean, back in the days, they used to really, you know, take that to an extreme with, you know, the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they carry themselves. It was just, you know, really played. Yes, and um, if you walk like, by, you really wouldn't know that it was here. Right. Yeah, I you think know. the allure is, is huge. I think close to about, like, 70% of people that come here they claim they've been looking for this place for like hours. <laughs> They're just like, we didn't see it. There's no sign. It's just a dude standing in front of like staircase that goes yeah. downstairs. Um, so I think I think that's that image is perfect. You know, it's it's just I don't know. Those are the kind of bars that I really like going to. Right. You know, not not to talk down on other bars. I love you know. Well, it's part of the flashy drama. bars. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, I. I would love to be on like a rooftop bar with like tiki drinks. It's my. It's also a good thing too. Um, but I just, I've always been drawn to that like dark basement, almost like a cavernous bar, and I think that you know it captures that image really well here. Uh, since you're talking about that, why don't you tell us where you came from and how you got to Philadelphia? Um. So I was like outside of the city, in the Poconos. It's about an hour and a half out of Philly. I mean, I've always been, you know, between New York and Philadelphia on the weekends, just, like, hanging out, traveling. And I've just been in the industry since I was about, like, 16, you know, working at, like, pizzerias, back of house, things like that. Uh, came to Philadelphia to, like, I think it was art school. Yeah, that's what I came here for. <laughs> um yeah, so I came here to, to try to do that. You know, I was, uh, you know, majored in film. And it just, I don't know, there wasn't there wasn't a click. You know, I tried, like, that whole office internship. It was, it was great, still passionate about it, but I don't know, it just wasn't me. And then I got back into the industry. I was, like, serving. Um, I ended up at R2L, which is, you know, just an amazing restaurant up on the 37th floor of Liberty 2 building and it's that was where you know I went from being a waiter to a server <laughs> and it was like just I understood what fine dining was I understood what like you know how to have true passion for things and just attention to detail beyond the consciousness of like the guest you know that's that's where it started to come come to so you know it was just that experience that made me fall in love with the industry you know and again had a friend that worked there with me came over here he ended up being the general manager so you know he almost brought over like a lot of alumni from that restaurant over here but were you still serving then uh yes i was still serving okay, so not yet behind the bar uh no no and um I did a couple bartending, like, private event stuff, and it was a mess, you know, like, they were just like, yeah, just shake a bunch of stuff together and make, you know, daiquiris and cosmos, and, oh, man, I had, like, the dirtiest bar. It was just, looking back, I would have fired myself. <laughs> uh, it was terrible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know. There must have been some fun in it for you. It was continue. great. No, I really enjoyed it, and it was, 
it was that moment where you know you're you're learning about making this drink and then you put it together you're not really sure and then you shake it you put it in the glass and then someone sips it and you see their face just light up and you're like oh man like my whole amount of confusion just made this person so happy <laughs> and it's a, it's a weird thing but from the confusion came clarity yeah no and then you you, you know you build on that and you you get better and better and then it just it all folds in it's mm. good and uh, you Jason uh, I started like about the mid 90s in New York City I had moved I lived off and on in New York all my life but I moved back after high school and I started uh, barbacking for a nightclub on the Upper East Side owned by the Gambino family oh my gosh what was it called uh, are you allowed to tell? Uh, it was a it was a really nice spot on the Upper East Side. All right, you'll tell me later. And <laughs> we had it was it was like a strange culture because we had we would do a fine dining dinner service, and after that, it was it, the space held about close to like a thousand people. They would pack, and there was a three level oh, place, and they would do fine dining dinner, and then from ten p.m. to four a.m. we were a nightclub. So we would do, the owners were really, you know, really, you know, spent a lot of time in Italy, were really into, you know, Negronis and things like that, other Italian cocktails, and they had given us, like, a really, a really good and thorough classic cocktail education, you know, what stirred drinks and shaken drinks, and they had us using bitters and adding vermouths to martinis at a time when it was just, uh, Manhattan was just chilled whiskey and a martini was just chilled vodka, and... We would do that, and then that night we would make Cosmos, you know, for six hours. And I started their bar backing, eventually started bartending, and worked for them for close to 16 years at that spot and different spots that they had across the city. And about the same time that Craft Cocktail was coming to life in New York, I was getting sick in New York, and I had went to a, a small island off the coast of Belize for about five years called Key Cocker. And when I got there, Belize is kind of kind of a democracy, but kind of a socialist country and kind of a communist country at the same time. So if they made something, they didn't allow an importation of it. They made really shitty rum, and they made really shitty gin, and they were just... Did you have a job when you went there? I Yeah, I had some unrelated work, and okay. then I had a friend but not that... No, well, I had a friend that owned a, had opened up a place down okay. there. Well, he bought it and took it over. So... I was supposed to only be there for about six months. I ended up really liking it. It was real simple living compared to New York, and I just ended up staying there. And we didn't really do a craft cocktail as much as like we did necessities because we couldn't get anything. I mean, we always had fresh juice because it was cheaper than buying Tropicana, you know, because everything was grown there. But we used to take different herbs and you know juniper and things like that, and we used to have to kind of soften the spirits, you know, make them to where they're more palatable and usable. And that's, I mean, that's where I got. What turned out to be craft cocktail experience, but at the time I didn't know, you know, that that's what we were doing. And then after about five years of that, I got kind of stir crazy, came back to New York and got a job offer for this place about seven, eight months ago. And after a while, I, at first I was confused about what the place was because the lady that hired me had sent a, sent a letter saying the Franklin, that, you know, would you like to come work for the Franklin? If you Google the Franklin, the Franklin's a big beer hall in the middle of Pennsylvania, right. nowhere. And I was like, yeah. no, I don't want to. <laughs> and eventually I found out what it actually was, and it seemed like a good opportunity, and I, I headed that way, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you miss the Belize and, the, and, and making Certain less things. palatable alcohol palatable? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it was fun, but at the same time, uh -huh. it's just, it's trapped. You know, like, it's not an, it's, 
their currency you can't take back to America with you. It's you know it's it's a nice life, but after a while you just get you get sick of vacation. You mm -hmm. know, like so I, I do miss certain aspects of it, mm -hmm. but not. But so you're only eight months here, mm -hmm. so now it's time for you to put your stamp on the place. Right. Right. And well, so actually, me and John are doing that together. We're putting. Uh -huh. That's we. We try to harbor a culture of everybody's. Everybody puts their stamp on this place. Everybody works together. We. We try not to showboat or put our own names out there that much. We try to more focus on the program, you know. We have barbacks, you know, that are passionate and, you know, trying, you know, with, of course, with John's assistance and guidance, developing things. And we just try to create a culture where that, that's the stamp we're trying to put on it, that it's a commutative effort. You know, we're trying to put out really big drink menus, and when you put all that on one person, that one person gets cracks quickly, and then you're just constantly, you know, switching. So it's, we figured if we could have everybody working together, we could have a stronger, longer-standing program that way. Yeah, it's it's just, it's really nice to have a collective, because, I don't know, like, it's, everyone here works on, you know, drink construction, you know, whether it be barback, server, door guy, like, they, they all have their say into what gets on the menu, or, you know, we all just like, we, we like input, we like to fuel you know the creative spirit and it's just it's a nice nice environment you know because i've i've been at like other places that it's just and it's not wrong but it's just like forceful where like one person makes a menu and then philadelphia has this like weird disconnect where the food is amazing but the drinks are bad the drinks are amazing but the food is subpar you know it's it's really it's really hard to find that place. So I mean, just having the amount of people and, and the amount of like knowledge and, and outside perspective of people into one drink, you know, that the quality really is there. And it's you know, that's there's so many minds coming together to, to make three ounces work. And I think that's that definitely shows in our, our drinks. I see that more and more in London as well with the people I interview. That it really has become so much more collaborative. Oh, yeah. It's much less okay. You you're a barback and you can only do that, and you can only do this, and you can only do this. Right. So much more collaborative, definitely. Yeah. And it just makes for such a better work oh, yeah. experience, and you know, a bar experience, of course. Right. Every, everybody's palate's yeah. different too, and I mean, sometimes we find that like. The best judges of drinks are people that might not know that much about liquor that can just base things on whether that tastes good to me or that tastes bad to me. Like a lot of times, absolutely. Once you get overwhelmed with so much knowledge and this shit tastes like that and as much as this, sometimes you might lose a good drink because you're thinking about the way the drink was composed as opposed to the way the drink tastes. Mm -hmm. So we, we try to value everybody's. Input. I guess it's good to have a virgin mouth. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds kind of We got a lot of right. It sounds kind of dirty. Hey, I'll try. Yeah. I'll try. No, it's, it's the bar business. That's uh -huh. what it is. <laughs> no, it's, well, um, you talked about your craft program, um, or you've mentioned it. So what kind of things are you creating for the future? Uh, well, right now we're just working on spring. Mm -hmm. um, do you do it seasonally? Yeah, we try to do like as much seasonal as possible. Mm -hmm. We always have to have you know, the form of the classics, you know, you can't have a, a fully esoteric menu. Um, it'd be nice, though. It'd be really great. Um, but yeah, you also, yeah, you just have to have that variety, you know, people love the classics, but also people, they're, they're that, that crowd that just wants to try something that they've never tried before. Um, so that's definitely something that we try to have here as well. You know, we, 
we want great classics that are just ABC cocktails. Get them anywhere else, but you know, we'll be remembered, right? Um, But like, we also want to have the drinks that you know makes you go home and you know stay up all night, (laughs) wondering what you just experienced. Like, why? You know, and and because I've had that experience here too. I used to drink here before I worked here, and my first time here was having you know three drinks and i was just like what did i just do like what this is just amazing and for you yeah a bartender already yeah it know? was just it was nuts you know me thinking that you know i'm shaking tins and just making a mess all over myself and then i come see these guys over here at the franklin and it's just i'm blown away i i it's like it it almost like laid out the definition for me of what i was trying to do and I just looked at them and said, I got to do that. That's, that's the only way. That's like the end all. That's when you can call yourself the bartender. Um, and it's just the working with like intricate syrups, you know, tea syrups, floral syrups. We're taking flower petals and, you know, letting them sit in sugars. And we're taking like just weird things that, you know, the average household wouldn't have. And, you know, we're putting that in our drinks, you know. We've had drinks with you know, turmeric and just insane, like tarragon, duck you know, fat. apple, duck fat. Yeah, we've. It was just clarified pina coladas. They were just amazing. It was, it was all good stuff. And again, people would have these drinks, and they're like, "I have never seen this." That must be really, really exciting yeah. for you. It really so, is. Oh yeah, no, it's great. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, and being along, around for so long, another section that we do feature in our menu is we do pull back a lot of the old head bartenders and bartenders drinks and things so we always in addition to our classics new menu we always have a rotating collection of great old drinks that mm-hmm. you know were developed at the front yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's so, a oh, I'm sorry so, I didn't no no that. I didn't see that I wanted to know so much and we're jumping a little into the esoteric on our spring menu we, uh-huh. we have been doing tastings but we're going to do a sort of a tasting but not really that features a lot of micro gastronomy things and you know food science and just Trying to just a section of the menu. When you say push. tasting, what does that mean? Uh, very similar, like uh, like a chef's tasting, uh-huh. course by course. Uh, we've been running, you know, that kind of paradigm uh, in in our greatest hits. So it's essentially you know drinks from the past of previous bartenders, um, and we just take the drinks and make a nice little five course tasting out of that. And it's a good reception. A lot of people mm-hmm. like it, and it's a lot of booze. Yeah. <laughs> I know because I'm sure some of some people love the drinks and when they see that they're gone from the menu oh, they yeah. say oh, yeah. well, where are they I we get that. that a lot well yeah. a lot of them you can still pull and follow that uh-huh. like a lot of them that you know like if the ingredients are there to make them the bartenders are more than happy to make them for you, you but know. back to the tasting I love yeah. that idea yeah and uh-huh. it's it's a good experience it, it's right. just really great and mm-hmm. we, we try to pay enough, enough homage to anyone that's been here because it's just I feel like this place house is a really great collective mind you they know they still check in too yeah, like yeah. That. And, I don't know, people that come here, they know our bartenders, like, past bartenders by name. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're they people to know. You know, they're out opening bars. Are a lot bars. of them still in Philadelphia? Um, not necessarily, no, but uh-huh. I would say a lot of, a lot of the alumni from this bar either open a bar, um, is writing editorials about cocktails, or just, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the GM that hired me... He opened a bar in L.A. called Accomplice Bar. Uh, Al Sotak, the first head bartender, he opened up Jupiter Disco up in Brooklyn. Um, there's there's just a lot 
going on and, and everyone's doing it and they're taking it. I feel like this is just that that stepping stone of just like even further excellence. You know, there's you're here for a reason. You're here to make drinks and you're here to do it like at a at an exceptional level. You know, and I think that everyone here gets it. So that's we're just trying to like fit that all in to making people happy on a nightly basis. <laughs> Well, I want to be made happy, we, so we, 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 I really want to get a drink at the bar. Oh, yeah. Should we do that? Yeah, Brian's down there waiting for you. Okay, Absolutely. great. Thanks so much to Jason, John, and everyone at the Franklin Mortgage and Investment Company for making me so happy. A quick hop to the city of Reims, France for the next podcast where we're introduced to Madame Clicquot by Fabienne Moreau, the historian of the famed house of champagne, Verve Clicquot. Until next time, bottoms up. For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar. <laughs>